Beautiful. Ah, good morning. My name is Bruce. You may call me Bruce or just don't call me late for lunch. Um, if you would like to take your seats, can we thank our creative team? It's just been amazing this morning. I needed that. I don't know about you, but that was beautiful. Um, everyone take your seat except Chloe. Um, <laughs> you know, yesterday I felt the Holy Spirit just speaking to me about you. And you were at a men's conference. I'm not sure why that was. <laughs> Uh, um, you have a great heart, a great servant spirit on your life. And uh, I just felt to remind you that you have this leadership mantle on you. And um, with you and God, nothing is too hard. And the world will pursue you in terms of, of the world will invite you to be involved in things because you're so capable. There's just this ability on your life to lead and to navigate and to create great things. And, and I just see over you this growing confidence and leadership, this growing mantle of ability to lead people. Because in the end, it, it's your calling is actually going to be about that. It's going to be about people, management, and, and helping them to achieve and to fulfill their calling. And, and um, God's going to give you, from a very young age, a spirit of wisdom and counsel. And uh, I, just, I just want to encourage you with that thought, that uh, don't feel um, inadequate for a second, because you're not. Amen? And give it a clap. Um, Ariel and Tim, um, stand up, stop being lazy. <laughs> now I know, because uh, Ben mentions to me that you've been in a season of transition and it's been harder than people realise and it's cost you a lot. And I just want to tell you two things. The first is you've made great decisions. And um, in the middle of that, there's been a, actually a feeling of displacement and, and dryness and, and a sense of frustration. But I want to tell you, you are moving forward and you're moving upward. And I want to encourage you with that thought that, that God has equipped you with, both of you, with an incredible balance gift. Um, you see things quite differently from each other. I sense that there's a... <laughs> There's moments where you have quite different perspectives on things. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and the beauty of that balance is that God is forming you for an incredible ministry and leadership. And, and um, it's, uh, um, there's just a great power in, in what you have together. Um, Tim, over you, I just wanted to declare this. Never lose your your down-to-earthness, your sense of reality, because it's actually something that will make life happier, healthier, and more sane in the long term. 
Um, and it's, it's actually something God has equipped in you. Um, and the second thing is you're going to need to build capacity because the season ahead is going to require a lot from you in terms of leadership. And that I just want to remind you the call of God has not been shelved or sidelined, quite the opposite. Um, he takes us in journeys we don't expect. And I just see that, that elevation happening. So I just want to encourage you with that thought. Um, and Tim, just do as you're told. It's going to be easy. <laughs> I just want to clarify for those of you who wonder about my position on submission issues that I am the head of my home. <laughs> my wife gave me permission to tell you that. <laughs> okay, we're already in controversial territory. Can you two stand up? Um, these guys became Christians last night. It was quite exciting. <laughs> I just felt that at some point we should lead them to the Lord because they've had so much attitude. Um, you know, um, I want to just publicly declare, uh, said a couple of things over these guys last night, and I, I just want to declare publicly that this will be, the season ahead will be the season of this church fulfilling her heritage and her destiny. Yes. See, this, this wasn't just something that Pastor John and Marion dreamed of, this is something that God dreamed of. This isn't something that Pastor Kevin and Marilyn dreamed of. This is something God dreamed of. And he is putting a footprint into this region from, from the, the, the valley, you know, uh, from the Penrith side all the way to the top of the mountain. There is territory that this church is called to possess in, in the local area. And I, I want to declare that over you. There will be expansion, multiplication. All of you here are now a leadership meeting. Because, you know, the truth is we exist for the benefit of our non-members. And I just want to declare this church is a church of grace, not a church of law, not a church of legalism, not a church of, of religious practice. It's a church filled with health and a desire to live a balanced and sane life the way God intended us to live. But at the same time, I just declare over you, you are not too young to lead forward. You are ready for it. I just feel like it's a God thing. It's a season of grace on your life. And um, we are absolutely cheering you on. And I just want to tell you, the season of transition is over. The season of building has begun. And it's important because there's a cost you know, our life is short and we have to do everything we can for the sake of the kingdom in the time that we're given. And I want to encourage you with that thought that um, we gear up to transform the communities. As Paul Bartlett says, the people that God misses the most are the people that we want to focus upon. And so I'm just saying, church, stir up. Um, do not be complacent. Don't say, oh, I just love it how it is now. Good luck with that. Um, does it make sense? Let me make it really clear to you. Change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. That's just <clears throat> so can we give our senior pastors a clap? They're right. So um, I wanted to chat to you today about um, grace, actually. Um, and... But before we do that, um, 
uh, let me say this to you. Um, I love that part of the mission and value of this church is to be biblically based. We are unapologetic about our trust in the Word of God. We believe it's, it's compelling, powerful, um, able to transform. It, and it is, you know, the Word of God. It literally is. And so that's the way we treat it, and uh, rightly so. If, if you can stand with me for a moment, I'm going to get you to recite something with me. I'm going to bring up this passage of Scripture um, from Ephesians chapter 1, actually. Um, it, it just has a little... Um, actually, can we go to... Uh, be another section I sent you which just has the statement in Christ in it. Do you, do you have that there? If not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, no, no, skip that. Don't worry. I'll, I'm just going to recite these things, okay? If I, I don't have time to teach you about chapter one, so I'm just going to kind of get you to um, be um, sort of Anglo-Catholic for a moment and just recite things with me. Um, so I, I want to make this point. If you read chapter one of Ephesians, it really says the following things. It says that we, you're, you've got to respond. You know that, that rugby league commercial at Lowe's where they all sort of, it's, it's a brilliantly intelligent commercial and, and it, it basically, you know, they're modelling stuff like I should and, and they, at the end of the thing, they, they all go at Lowe's. You know, you, you know that, that ad? Well, we're going to do the same thing except we're going to say in Christ, all right? So I'm going to say, when I leave this pregnant pause, you're going to, Fill that with in Christ. Is that okay? Yeah. I know I'm in the mountains, but this is, this is encouraging me. Okay, all right, here we go. So Ephesians chapter 1 says, You were chosen to be holy and blameless. In Christ. You were predestined to adoptions as sons and daughters. In Christ. You were chosen to freely receive the grace given. In Christ. You were granted redemption through his blood. In you were provided with forgiveness of sin. The mystery of his will is revealed. All authority is derived through his headship. Everything has been placed under his leadership. We were made heirs of the kingdom. We have the security. Sorry, we've had the security that the Father will work out everything in conformity with his will. And he made known to us his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed. He intends to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In Christ we were also chosen in order that we who were the first to hope might be for the praise of his glory. And you were included. Thank you. (laughs) You're getting the hang of this. You're doing really well. I'm pumped. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were included. You can't understand Paul's theology without understanding the idea of being in Christ. That's such a powerful thought, and I wish I had more time to unpack it. But I, I wanted you to understand this simple thought, that, that for Paul, he's not trying in any sense by human effort to, to attain anything from God. He describes himself as the foremost of all sinners, and if you look along your row, you'll see that there's some people who came a close second in your row. <laughs> but, but we all have our issues. But aren't you glad that we are declared to be in Christ? That's, that's the beautiful exchange. It's not about you and your effort. It's about what he has already done. 
And once we understand that, it changes everything. Is this okay? All right. Turn to the person next to you and say, I hope he's not making us repeat stuff all day. (laughs) You may sit down. Turn to your second choice on the other side, the person you didn't first talk to, and say to them, um, I hate it when people say, turn to the person next to you and say things. It really, really ticks me off. So this lady um, goes to a doctor and she says, look, doctor, every time I drink coffee, I get this stabbing pain in my right eye. And the doctor looks at her and says... Perhaps you should take the spoon out of the cup. <laughs> we, all, we all have a condition that we have to grapple through. And um, I want to talk to you about that today. What is our condition before God? This guy goes to hospital and... You know, he's, he's swallowed eight plastic horses. But his condition is now stable. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I told that joke at, at one of our campuses and, and um, one of my mates yells out, well, at least you can join the bridal party now. <laughs> anyway. This horse walks into a bar. You would think he would have seen it, but anyway. Um, and and he, he, the guy behind the bar says, why the long face? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> we live in a very interesting time. The world largely rejects the notion of sin. We have this condition, but we can't diagnose it because we remove the word sin from our vocabulary. And the the problem with that is that actually we never removed it from our conscience. We can remove it from our thinking, from our language, from our vocabulary, from our, our public persona, but we never dealt with the real fundamental issue of the of the reality of sin. That three letter word is a challenge to us. Right now, if you go to university, you'll be taught most of the time in, in most philosophical frameworks that there is no absolute truth. I want to say to you that that idea is a logical impossibility. If any value exists anywhere at any time, then there must be an absolute value that undergirds it. If any morality exists at any time, there must be an absolute morality that somewhere undergirds that. You might say, well, everything's just a degree. Everything's just relative. And if I say that about temperature, you will say, well, see, temperature's relative. Relatively speaking, this is warmer than Blackheath was yesterday. And relatively speaking, where I live in Newcastle is just relatively a lot better than here. (laughs) But, But underneath that idea, there is an absolute. It's not just about degree. There's a concept of absolute zero temperature. See, cold is not a thing. Cold is the absence of a thing. It's the absence of heat, of energy. And, and equally, um, our, our, our issues about morality are the same. We, we actually have a fundamental, absolute foundation of morality, which God uses, which is called love. Love is the determining factor of all morality from the economy of God. 
And it's not, it's not a relative thing, it's an absolute. God doesn't have love, he is love. It's his essence, his being. He's incapable of acting outside of love because he would be acting out contrary to his own nature. And if this is too early in the morning for you to grapple with this, I just want to remind you that the world keeps saying everything's relative. There is no sin. It's just do whatever feels good to you. And, and, and so we can have this idea of blind faith. Well, blind faith's fine until it isn't. You know, there's a guy who jumps out of a parachute, he's out of a plane with, with a bunch of parachuters and he's filming them and so they all open their chute and then the film goes ballistic because suddenly he realises that he didn't put his own chute on. True story. And the video ends badly, as you can imagine, but his faith was that he had basically prepared himself like everybody else. But in his focus on something else, he missed the most important thing, which was his own parachute. You can have faith. You can have sincere faith. It doesn't matter. whether it, The issue is whether the faith has any foundation in reality. You see, I don't regard my faith in Christ as a blind faith. It's a reasoned faith. It's a rational faith. And it's super rational. It's actually beyond rational. Because I've discovered the reality that you cannot make sense of the universe unless there is a God who loves us. Unless there is a God who is eternal. Unless there is a God who's designed you with a purpose. There can be no purpose. You can't find a rational morality apart from the purpose of God. The world says if there's no sin, there's no need for a saviour. The world says even if God exists and he's loving, we'll all get into heaven because he's loving. But does that make sense? You see, when you say that everybody just goes to heaven just because God loves us, you fail to deal with the issue of the cross as a penalty for our failures. You can make no sense of Jesus' death if you don't first recognise our fault and failing in, in bringing that to pass. See, Jesus dies as the innocent one for the non-innocent. That was the point. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. It's an uncomfortable passage, but this is what it says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath or judgment, even as the rest. We have a fundamental problem, which is we're held captive to our own fallen nature. So there's this woman, she walks into the, the kitchen and she, she finds her husband is swatting flies. And he's just wandering around the kitchen and smashing flies. And you know, what, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm killing flies. And, and she says, well, why are you doing this? She says, well, you know, look, I, I just had, I'm just... Had it. I'm just sick of these flies. Um, I've already killed five. Three were male and two were female. She's like, how on earth could you know that three were male and two were female? He says, well, three were on a beer can and two were on the phone. 
We tend to do what's in our nature to do. It's uncomfortable, but we tend to do this stuff that, that we are by nature inclined to. This is, here's the challenging bit about this. The Bible says that we are dead in sin. We are captive to sin. We're enslaved to the devil. We're locked into the passions of our sinful nature. We turn legitimate desires into corrupt desires. And then he says this, the mind governed by the sinful nature can never please God. Oh, this is so discouraging. I came to church to be encouraged. and all into the... I'm telling you a, a horrible truth. The mind governed by our fallen nature can never please God. Wow. That's uncomfortable. And so we're stuck with this mystery. And I wanted to show you a very profound and meaningful video clip, but I couldn't find one. So I'm going to show you this instead. If we can bring up this very powerful clip. I want you to watch the screen. This is going to touch you. <laughs> oh dear, that's funny. <laughs> right, thanks for that. It's very, that's really blessed me. <laughs> I know there'll be probably complaints from animal carers, but anyway. I think that clip shows us a lot of the illusion of our own self-will and our own self-capacity to engineer anything of lasting change for ourselves. We're like that lamb or sheep. We, just, we, feel, we have the illusion of movement, but we're actually not going anywhere. We just swing back and forth, just... You're stuck in the same thing. And I promise you that sheep is not getting out of that tyre swing without help. And, you know, that's... Unfortunately, that's our situation. So how does God help us out? Because, you know, this is like a mystery. This duck comes up to the side of the road and it's just standing there. And a chicken comes up beside it and says, don't do it, mate, it's not worth it. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. Yeah. The duck and the chicken, I don't know, it's just... <clears throat> anyway, um, there's a mystery. And it's all resolved for us in verse 4. These two incredible words but God. See, let me remind you what we said in those first three verses. It says this, you were dead in your sin, you were formally walking, you were controlled, you were under the power of the enemy, you were a son of disobedience, you were trapped by all of your own desires and you can't escape this situation. And suddenly in verse 4 it says this, It says, but God. Everyone say, but God. but God. Being rich in mercy. 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Wow. We had a radical disease called sin and the radical remedy is a complete blood transfusion. We exchange our poisoned blood, our infected blood, our weakness, we exchange for the blood of a saviour who poured his blood out on the cross. There's blood, you know, the Bible says that life is in the blood. There's an actual transaction that takes place when Jesus lays his life down for you. He carries upon himself the sin of all of humanity, past, present and future. Your future failings have already been paid for in Christ. Your Past failings have been dealt with in Christ. And you cannot in any sense earn in any way anything from God. You have to let go of your own ability and exchange it for his. And the power of this thought is that once you get a hold of this, it changes the way you look at everything. Because suddenly you see yourself as somebody not only in Christ, but in grace. Why am I talking about this? Some of you know this stuff like you've had a year in, year out, you kind of know it. But I'm, I'm saying it because I'm actually prophesying it into the soul of the church again. This is a grace church. It's not a legalistic church. The, you know, anybody can walk in these doors and feel welcome. Somebody can walk into your life group and feel welcome. There's zero judgment because we understand how little we've been judged. Freely you've received, freely give. It's, it's just... It's the most incredible thing and it's worth stirring your mind up. I want to remind you that God is the transcendent interruption to us fallen humanity. There's no stairway to heaven. There's a lady who shone all that glitters is gold and she's buying a stairway. Some of you have been listening to really evil music and I'm really, I'm deeply, I'm deeply shocked. Not only that, but it's really old. I only learned that song so I would know what Christians should not listen to. There is no stairway to heaven except one that God himself climbs down. God invades our world. He invades your life and he comes, let's go back to our sheep in the swing. He comes to cut that tire away and to liberate us. Let me declare what Paul is declaring over you. Once you were powerless, now you are powerful. Once you were enslaved, but now you are free. And one day you'll be four. Once you were dead. Sorry, it's like I have grandchildren. It's like it really works for them. Once, once we were dead, now we are alive. 
Once we were trapped by sin, but now we are empowered by righteousness. Once we were alienated from God, now we are seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. See, when you look at the world like that, you recognise who you are, what your birthright is. You start to, instead of pleading with God, suddenly you begin to declare what God intends. You begin to speak with authority and confidence because you should be so confident it's ridiculous. You should be the happiest person on earth. You should be the most secure, the most enthusiastic because you discovered that the grace of God is sufficient for you. It's the foundation of the throne of God. As I said to the guys yesterday, it's a bit like getting a universal remote control. It changes everything. (laughs) Paul finishes this whole passage with this. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Everyone say gift. Gift. Who here is a really good gift giver? Oh, it's just that I'd like to hang out with you after. No, no, I'm joking. Who's a, who's a really good gift receiver? Yeah. I want to remind you that you have to be a great gift receiver when it comes to God. He's trying to give you far more than you can possibly imagine. And our concept of God has to change. We have to enlarge our vision of who God is. Our view of God is always too small. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. None of us can boast about how together we are. We're just not. We're the lamb, in, we're the sheep in the swing, apart from the grace of God. That's us. But with the grace of God, everything changes. He gives you this incredible uplift. I wanted to tell a, a joke about an elevator because they work on so many levels, but I couldn't really figure how to weave it into this message. <clears throat> Musos, you can come back. We need to wrap this up somewhere. <clears throat> you know, verse 10 says this incredible thing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that the Father performed beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created to do something unique and powerful, something that no one else can do. And if you do not do it, it will not be done. And you don't do the good works in order to earn the salvation of God or the grace of God. You do them because of the salvation of God. You do them because you're so grateful to God. You know, it's like I was saying to the guys yesterday, if you and I are partners in a lottery ticket, which wouldn't be appropriate in any way for Christians, but if we were and we won and I held the ticket and I didn't tell you, what sort of person would I be? So when someone says to me, you keep your Christianity yourself, mate, I go, mate, we won the lottery together. You you didn't even buy a ticket, but you won. And I've got to tell you about it. I'm going to be unapologetic about my faith in Jesus because it's the most powerful thing that's ever happened in my life. 
And we sang it before, where would I be without his love, without his grace? But God, being rich in mercy. I asked these guys to sing this beautiful worship song and then I offered for me to sing with them and they said no. Um, But I want you to stay seated. I I really love um, the ministry of Tim and, and Brad. They both have a beautiful gift. And I want you to just... You don't have to sing necessarily. It's just I just want you to breathe in, to be reminded of the grace and goodness of God at this moment and just to refresh your soul. Thanks, guys. Drown 
rescued me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. You split the sea. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. Sing it again, you split the sea. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. Don't sing it out, you split the sea. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. speaks to exactly this theology the greatest news you can ever hear is that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and you know sometimes we forget that You know, the Apostle Paul writes these words in Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by your own effort? You can't be. You can't perfect yourself. There's nothing you can add to the work that Jesus has already done on your behalf. We have to stand in Christ and we have to stand in grace and we have to recognise it's our birthright and we have to assert our dependence on His perfect gift. I just want you to close your eyes for a second. You know, our time is done. and Brad and I are very grateful for the hospitality we've had here over this weekend and we've loved hanging out with all the amazing blokes in this church. And we just want to encourage you with this exact thought the grace of God is your birthright and in this process you know I'm not going to ask people to come out the front or do anything weird but I am going to in a moment ask you to raise your hand 
if you want to respond in some way to this message. You know, it's possible that you're here, you're a believer, you're a Christian, you, you've been coming to church for a long time. But as I've been talking about this, you realize that you have just been leaning on your own strength. You've kind of let go of this recognition of the secure grace of God. And you've, you've living literally out of your own sense of effort and obligation to God rather than this sense of incredible joy and peace that is your birthright. I want to remind you that you have to choose to surrender. God will not force you. He just wants your belief. And belief is not a passive thing. It's an active, ongoing trust. It's so powerful. I want you to close your eyes across this room. If today you're saying, I'm a believer, but I've kind of given up on this grace message and I'm just doing it all on my own. I simply want you to raise your hand and say, God, this is me. I, I needed to hear this today. I, I want to stop striving and I want to trust. I'm giving up on condemnation and fear and I'm pursuing trust. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand all across this room. You're saying, God, here I am. I just need to surrender. You're opening your hands. I don't need to see it. It's just it's between you and God. But I, I just know the importance of taking this step of reconciling this belief in your heart. Thanks for those who raised their hand. You can put your hands down. In a moment, we're going to pray and make a declaration about the grace of God. The most important question I could ask is one that a friend of mine asked me nearly 40 years ago. It was simply this, do you want to follow Jesus as your Saviour? And maybe you're in this room and you may have done that previously, but you feel like you gave up on this journey. And today you're, you're saying, I need to renew this sense of dedication and commitment to the purpose of God in my life. Or maybe you're here and you want to say for the very first time, you know what, I, I, I surrender. I'm, I'm going to trust God instead of myself. I want God in my life by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to know that Jesus is with me all the time. I want Him as my Lord and Saviour. If that's you, without prolonging it, again, no one's looking around, but you've got privacy, but I, I would like to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you and you're saying, God, here I am, I want to raise my hand right, right across this room. You're raising your hand as a sign that you're saying yes to Jesus. You're inviting Him to transform your situation all across this room. Thank you, God. Let's give you a moment more before we pray together. Anyone else just saying, God, here I am. I just want to surrender to you all across this room from the front to the back. If that's you, raise your hand say yes to God. Thank you. Beautiful. We're going to pray and make a declaration to God. And I want you to pray out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your undying love. You showed that love for me on the cross. And I declare that my sin, my faults and failings are covered by that sacrifice. I exchange my weakness for your strength 
My sin, my shame is exchanged for your grace, your forgiveness. I belong to you and you belong to me. I declare you are my Lord and Saviour. And I declare the blessing of God over my life, my future, my family, my relationships, my finances. By grace, I have been saved. And you created me to do amazing works that you have prepared for me alone. I choose to trust you and to follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we thank Him this morning?